take thou authority to preach the gospel. Indeed, I look upon all the world as my parish. Welcome to our latest episode of Field Preachers slash Zoom webinar training for church planters. Uh, my name is Rachel Gilmore. So I planted a church in Virginia Beach 10 years ago and moved to Nashville last summer to join the staff of Discipleship Ministries Path One uh, to do training, recruiting, and assessing of church planters for the United Methodist Church. And I am super stoked to have Matt Majowski and Jason Morris with me today. Hi, guys. Hey, Rachel. How are you? (laughs) Good, good. So I met Matt, gosh, it was like 10 years ago before I knew the gathering in St. Louis existed. Now, when I say the gathering, everyone's like, you mean Matt's church? I'm like, no, we're not as cool as Matt's church, but we were the (laughs) gathering in Virginia Beach. And you planted that church. How many years has it been, Matt? It's been now 13 years ago. Wow. That's great. And how many campuses do you have? Well, we have an online-only campus right now and three additional campuses during normal times, so four. That's amazing. And I had a chance a few years back to go and see, I think, all the campuses. I, I made the right Yeah, check that's out right. Campus. Yes. Good stuff. And I have been to Austin, although I have not been to Austin New Church. I need to go now, Jason. You've given me a reason. So Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. How, how long have you been there? Uh, well, the church is coming up on 12 years. I've been here six of the 12. I've been leading it for three and a half of those six. So I had a, a long administrative tenure in the free Methodist denomination before I became United Methodist. And so I was doing th- other things from this as a base, but I've been leading it now for coming up on four years in the fall. That's amazing. Well, thank you for joining us. It's great to to meet you now. And uh, for those of you who will listen on, on the podcast, you're missing out on the really amazing hats. I wish I'd gotten the memo so I could look cool like you guys. I I did say, I, I said before the recording, but for the recording, I knew Jason would come on with a hip hat. For those of you who don't know, Jason and I, I mean, we know each other. I love him. I think really highly of his ministry and we text and chat. But I just knew he'd have a really cool hat, so I'm just, mine's not as cool, but I I threw on a hat just to match. <laughs> wow. I, I like the, um, the banter going on via email before we started, too, and I hope that both of you close our time together with an interpretive dance, okay? I'll play some kind of music. and Absolutely. Under no circumstances is that going to happen. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Well, well, let's dive into the topic for today. So church planters were wanting to know during the season of coronavirus, shelter in place, people are feeling a myriad of things. So how has that impacted you guys as leaders of your church in terms of planning out sermon series? Are you planning them out the same differently in terms of length of the sermon or how you even pick out a sermon series? Take it away. We'll start with Matt. Yeah. So I think like a lot of things, uh, we we went through fast iterations when we started learning about what we were going to have to do. I mean, at the beginning of coronavirus, I think a lot of us were treating this as sort of, hey, it's going to be a few weeks. Let's just try to scramble and get everything online. Then when it looked more extended, I think churches started diverging in terms of their, their calculation. I mean, for our part, we believe this is going to be something long lasting. It's going to impact our ministry much longer than a couple months or even the rest of this year. 
we we had that idea pretty early on in this. This was going to be bigger than most people maybe thought. So yes, we started rethinking our sermon series almost right away. Uh, so for example, Easter and post-Easter, we created a new sermon series that spoke a little bit more to uh, where we where we thought we would be culturally. Um, We've continued to do that. We normally plan out pretty far in advance, but we are, which we still do, but we're trying to keep that fluid so that we can respond to the changing landscape. So I think for us, that's, that's sort of been a theme is, yes, plan ahead uh, because that's the way we work, but don't hold so tightly to that that you can't. Uh, so a lot of times planning ahead has helped us react to the moment because we can swap things out. So we've already, like we're in a, we just finished a series that uh, we created during COVID post Easter. Uh, we're going to be beginning a new series that we conceived of uh, because of what we're dealing with, with coronavirus. So yeah, we've changed up what we've done in terms of the length and other things like that. I, you know, we're trying to experiment right now. I think we're all learning what works in our context, what doesn't. The only way to figure that out sometimes is to try things, to look at some of the research, and then to tweak and try new things. So I don't know that we have any big answers. We've shortened the length of individual sermons, some in this environment. We've uh, toyed with the way that we've shot and, and done some of the technical aspects. But for the most part, the length of sermon series has stayed the same. Okay. And what's the sermon? You just started a new sermon series this Sunday, right? We did. Yeah, we, we just ended one called Hanging on to Hope in a World that is Upside Down, uh, which was directly tied to, you know, kind of how do we hang on to hope during times of trouble? We're doing a two-part series right now on the Lord's Prayer, which we actually already had on the books, but we thought that it really fit. So in that case, we didn't have to go elsewhere, create a new series. And then I'll be starting a, a series after this called Reset. There's a subtitle to it that we're not, we haven't quite landed on yet, but uh, basically how do we begin to put our life back together instead of returning to normal? What if we move forward to a new normal? It's that kind of thing. So this is a chance for us. We see that we see it at the gathering, like the, coronavirus is a chance for us in, in a lot of ways to relaunch the church. A lot of you will appreciate the longer you do this, you pick up habits as a church that you wish you could go back and like, man, if I could, if I could do it all over again, what would we keep? What would we throw away? What would I change? Well, now is a chance we, we feel like to, to address as one bundle, a lot of those things that, man, if we could do it over again, we really wish we would have done this or that. So we see this as a chance in a lot of ways to relaunch the gathering. I'm going to be preaching about that. I think the same is true in our lives. We don't simply have to go back to the life we had before this, but this is sort of a chance for us to, to do some of those same calculations with our life. So that's where we'll be going next. Sounds amazing. Thanks, Matt. Um, what about you, Jason? What's going on in Austin at your church? Well, Matt just made made everybody's point why we watch what is going on in St. Louis because that's creative and a step ahead. And so I want to go back and listen to all those details. Honestly, in full disclosure, Matt has changed how I prepare for preaching and how we do it as a team because we did some, we have shared the affection of a common bishop over our ministry careers. And my bishop told me, you have to go figure out what he's doing because you need it. So anyway, um, 
we, I'm, I'm a lectionary guy. Uh, I am rather traditional in terms of the church here. Uh, once we get past Pentecost, then we take the wheels off and we, de- we generally light the barn on fire and barely survive the summer. That's kind of how we do. Last summer, we did the most ambitious preaching endeavor I've ever done. Uh, it was called the isms. And we did, I don't remember, 10 or 11 massive dive, deep dives into all of the isms that have grown up next to the faith that we espouse and racism and ableism and sexism and all the, all the fun stuff. So we will do that after Pentecost. I think this year we're going to um, be working from uh, a lens on power and faith. And we're going to be thinking through what organic native expressions of faith look like and how decentering that is for us as white pastors and how appropriate that is. And again, I don't do that alone because I'm a white guy. Uh, a white straight guy. We do this in a very deliberate, diverse, mixed company of people of color, women, men, straight, gay, all of that. Um, so I've been following the lectionary. I hate the book of First Peter. I hate telling slaves to submit to their cruel masters. And I really dislike telling wives to submit to their husbands, even if they're ungodly. Uh, but I submit, I'm kind of the guy who goes in and doesn't quit. And if the lectionary takes us through First Peter, I'm going to do my best to get through it. So post-Easter COVID, We've done a deep dive into the nature of suffering. Imagine that. Uh, and how suffering wallows, hollows out in us a new place for the seeds of sort of newness and for love to grow. And so uh, I wrapped my part of First Peter yesterday. My team will take uh, next Sunday and Pentecost. Uh, and so then we will uh, transition into meantime or ordinary time. Uh, and I'm not absolutely positive what we're going to call that sermon series. I usually watch what Matt calls his and add to that some of some other creativity from other spaces and try to come up with something creative, but it's going to be an intentional dive into the mixture of power and faith. We, um, we have followed since I've been leading, we have followed Advent and Epiphany and Lent. Uh, and boy, did Lent give us a gift this year because, you know, that's when we try to cultivate some hunger and some wanting and even try to cultivate some, some longing. Uh, and uh, I think COVID did it for us this year. So I I think that's the answer to your first question in terms of length. Um, I'm trying to go shorter and shorter. I'm aiming for 21 minutes. I'm usually landing at about 28, uh, 26. I'm trying my best to get to 21. Some of the podcast sermons that I admire right now are the ones who get it all done in 30 minutes. Uh, and so it's radically flipping for us what those time frames are in terms of worship. We have two songs and a quick 22, 23, 24 minute deal. Uh, and then we've chosen to be responsive to what's going on in the news by reconvening after the benediction around what we call a Q&A. And that's when we as a church answer the questions like, when are we going to relaunch? What's going on with this? What's going on with that? So we've just kept those two things in different different containers there. Well, and something I noticed that both of you do is you have like space either before or after worship to really engage with people. Is that working? Are people responding? What are, how, how are you connecting with your current members of your faith community, but new virtual guests that might be joining in? Go for it, Matt. Uh, we, we, yeah, we're still experimenting with this. So we have, uh, we have like a, a zoom room after worship that new people can meet the pastors. And surprisingly, that's actually worked pretty well for us. We'll have six, seven, eight people hop in there to meet the pastors afterwards. So that's been good for us. It's easy to do. 
Um, really, in terms of engaging our own people during worship, we, we started a pregame show about a month ago so that 20 minutes before worship starts, one of our pastors hops on live on, on the live stream. And just, we have kind of a little show where we talk to people, we ask them to chat in, we ask some fun questions, they interview people sometimes. And it's been a really a cool way to engage our own uh, congregants, to get different people's faces in front of everybody. It's also had the added benefit of really extending the length of time that people watch us. So uh, they start 15, 20 minutes early, and they usually are more engaged in worship as a result of it. So uh, that's worked really well for us also. That's great. I don't think we have any secrets. We haven't figured it out. Here's the secret we have learned is that I'm not the one to lead us into those answers to how do we stay creative in this space. So I'm left-footed in social media entirely. I have no time for the algorithms of consumerism, and I absolutely am constantly bothered by Instagram, Facebook, and all everything in between. So I, my first sensation of COVID was, oh, no, I'm not the guy to lead now because uh, I don't know how to do that. I don't think that way. I'm bothered by the ads because why, how do they know I like hats and watches and shoes? Like get off my face, you know, get off my, my twit Facebook, whatever, TikTok or whatever it is. So I'm not that guy. So the first thing we did was figure out how do we get some voices deep inside here who know, who understand that. Uh, and so we made a very deliberate move to shift some, some uh, resources uh, to employing someone who's gifted in that space. You've seen her, Rachel. She's, uh, she's my associate. Sam does the creative expression around. She nailed it last year for sexism that got a half a million views. And she does these very amazing little artistic sort of um, dramatic readings. And uh, that's what we have done deliberately to, to think through that question of how do we engage people? I don't really know how to engage people. So she's helping us think through that. And we have not figured it out. There's no secret sauce. But we have seen an increased audience because, you know, now all things are equal. Like half my people can watch Matt if they want. Uh, nobody has to go anywhere. And it's been interesting because we've seen uh, a bigger audience through this, which tells me maybe we're doing something right. I'm not sure what it is, though, if I'm, if I'm being honest with you. Wow. Well, so was it your associate that had that idea? Because I first saw you on Facebook when someone yeah. shared your Psalm 23 poster. Um, yeah kind of interaction. And I think like over 250,000 people have seen that. I mean, that's crazy. Yeah. So Monday morning I call Sam and I'm like, Hey, so anything on Psalms 23? She's like, no, let me think about it. Tuesday morning. She's like, Hey, so I have this idea. It was this movie scene where a guy comes to the door and he drops these cards, you know, she's like, I want to play with that idea. And she did. And that's Sam. Sam grew up. She's got an interesting story. She was one of the teaching pastor's daughters at Willow Creek where girls still couldn't pastor. So she grew up in a world that told her she couldn't pastor, but she could be dramatic. So she became an actor and she married an actor. And she never realized that God had called her. I think God's called her to preach and lead, but she's done it indirectly through these artistic things. But she's so gifted that, and she does that work for churches around the country under contract for special occasions. But yeah, we have turned during covid to uh, shifting resources in the direction of the creative content development and away from some of the more traditional things that we spent money on. We have a very small staff. So for us, it was, it was complicated in that sense when you only have a few people around how to shift that, but that's what we did. Yeah. 
What about you, Matt? Have you shifted staff or resources or teams added new voices in this era of COVID? Yeah, we have shifted staff. You know, in some cases, we have staff that are overloaded. If they're on the tech side or video production side, we have other staff that are underutilized now that we're meeting in an online-only environment. And so we've tried to kind of take an account of who's good at other things. <laughs> Maybe they did kids ministry, but they also happen to be good at uh, something else. And so we've redeployed staff to do things that we need during this time. So I think that, uh, you know, I, generosity is a different conversation, but generosity is held up pretty strongly at our church, but that's always feels tenuous during this time. So we're trying to be cautious about spending a lot of new money and instead trying to get more creative with the resources, both people and otherwise that we already have. That's great. Are you, I'm, I'm hearing from everybody that they're seeing more hits or views in their online worship, but how are you engaging those people or um, into the life of the church, especially new folks? Mm -hmm. Is that a question for us or is that a question yes. for, is an open question? For either of you. I, yeah. What does it mean with more? Go ahead, Jason. It, what's that next step? Boy, I wish I knew. <laughs> you know, my intention that I set for myself early this morning on this very patio was to speak only things that I know are true. I don't know what to tell you, Rachel. I have no idea. Mm. I don't know how to engage people in social media because if you watch the algorithms that have produced it, it's shorter, quicker routes to what they already think. And I'm not inclined to filter leadership and, and preaching through that, if I'm honest. So I don't know. I don't really know how to engage them more. We watch the numbers. I hate looking at the numbers all week. They tell us something like it's important. It can't be the only metric. Like, I don't know. I think what my heart cleaves to the stories I hear from people, you know, in uh, somewhere in Australia, someone found us and like, man, this is saving my soul for the following reasons. I didn't know church could say this or whatever. So that's what I kind of latch my heart to, but I don't know that that's the kind of engagement we can sustain. Don't really know. Maybe Matt has a better answer. Well, I can tell you what we've tried to do, and we are really, really, I, I want to, I think humility is important here because everybody is kind of learning. We don't really know what's going to work and not going to work. And so for me, the name of the game is just be willing to experiment and innovate and pay attention to the results, not because we're sort of slavishly tied to numbers or metrics, but just to begin to learn because we don't know what engagement, what, what's going to engage people. But I'll, I'll tell you a few things that we're trying. Um, one is we, you know, I already mentioned that pregame show is engaging more people in something that's more interactive on Sunday morning, instead of just logging on and listening to me. Um, we have continued to do our connections. So our connections process includes an event called next, which is an evening for people who are new to the church. We've, We've done that digitally now twice. We have a, a like an experience called Explore for people who want to explore membership in our church and or just what commitment to the gathering looks like. We have done that virtually now once. And so we have, we've had success doing that. So just shifting some of our connections. Uh, so in other words, it's not just worship that's online for us. We want to figure out how do we do some of these other components components that we rely on to connect people? How, how can those be online? 
Uh, our core groups internal to the church, our core group ministry has grown during the past two and a half months so that now we have over a hundred core groups that are meeting. That has helped people to stay connected. And we have invited new people, about 60 to 70 new people have joined a core group in the past eight weeks. So th- those are just some of the ways internally that we are trying to connect people and keep them connected uh, as a community. Well, so let's um, talk about fatigue and exhaustion. I've talked to a lot of pastors and planters who feel like, although they're home a lot more than ever before, they're more exhausted from trying to adapt to learn social media if they've never really understood or tracked that, trying to figure out you know, when to change sermon series and when not to. How do you guys handle the exhaustion from trying to innovate so quickly? What does self-care look like for you guys right now? Oh, I love that question. Anybody who says they're getting more done now by working from home either doesn't have kids or isn't married. <laughs> Am I right? Am I so right, y'all? Like, let's yeah. have too much of the, listen, big dogs, few acres, lots of kids. There's just no peace around here. That's just, that is not what this is about. This has been to me about uh, actually doing the work of self-care. It began with a journey back into therapy early this year for me. I had this growing sensation that I wanted everything that I already have, but I wanted to hold it differently. I want the same house, the same wife, the same ministry, the same kids. I wanted all the same stuff, but I wanted to hold it in a way where I wasn't expecting it to give me an inner sense of wellness. If you know what I mean, pastors, you know what I'm talking about. Half of us in this game are in the caring vocation because we're deeply craving the sensation that we're needed. And so we have figured out how to transact things with crowds of people in such a way that sends us this little narcotic hit that says, I'm okay. Well, you can run like that for a while as a pastor. I might start to preach. I'm not supposed to preach on Mondays. You can run like that for a while as a pastor, but you can't go very long that way. So COVID accelerated the awareness that was already starting to flicker inside my soul that I need to find a different way to get in touch with a calm centered place where I'm in charge of my well-being, not my wife of 26 years, not my kids, not my parish, me. And so self-care for me has been carving out guilt-free, shame-free space to do what I do to recenter. And for me, it's generally three things. It's either running, it's reading, not sermon related reading, but reading for pleasure, or it's riding my antique motorcycle, which that's the absolute center of the world for me. So those things um, center me and, and begin to give me the kind of unwinding space to kind of do the work that I would call self-care. Um, I don't know. I no longer subscribe to any form of public leadership that flows from any other center. This is the, this is the truth about exhaustion and ministry. Y'all, you know, this, the truth about overrunning your headlights. If you ride motorcycles, you know what I mean? The truth about moving so quickly in a direction that you don't have the ability to respond to what jumps in front of you. The truth is we're dipping buckets into wells that are dry and we're trying to feed people things that we have not yet experimented. And so we can't teach people to care for themselves if we don't care for ourselves. And this has been uh, a therapeutic journey that has become a stack of reading books that has become some new breakthroughs. I have a long way to go, but I think it's the secret. I think public leadership has always flowed from here. There's lesser versions of leadership and we've all been members of those churches too, but that's not to me courageous leading. So I don't know if that resonates with anyone else, but you just asked me, you just gave me a high hanging fastball with the bases loaded in St. Louis, because that's what I'm learning right now. I love it. I completely agree. We love to preach on loving your neighbor as yourself, but we are not loving ourselves. We're not taking care of ourselves. And then we wonder why we're not able to be who we're called to be. So um, 
what are your thoughts on that, Matt? What? Because, yeah, you're like my go-to guy for self-care as well. <laughs> well, I, I won't. I won't add or repeat a lot of what Jason said, which I th- I think is great. Just a couple quick hits for people. I mean, one is I've I've tried to tell our staff and other pastors, like, be really careful not to overfunction right now. I've seen a lot of pastors overfunctioning. They need think they need to solve every problem and they need to do it all this week. Um, I think, you know, you want to innovate, but you don't need to do every innovation at the same time. This is a marathon, not a sprint, meaning we're going to have a lot of weeks to figure out what online means and how to get it right. And, you know, so just slow down a little bit in terms of what you think you have to get figured out and by when, because I think we're in this for the long haul. This is going to change the way we do things. And we don't, we just don't know yet what, uh, what it's going to mean. And so I think we have to, you know, I go back to Romans 12, 12 a lot, uh, which is advice really for times of, you know, a hardship, but Paul says, rejoice in hope, be patient in suffering, persevere in prayer. And there's something about patience that we just have to give ourselves and our church space to observe and learn about what the spirit is doing and then try to respond week to week. So, you know, we try to stay vigilant in working hard and responding to what we see without over-functioning. I've told my staff, I don't think you ought to be working the same number of hours as you did before. We're not doing the same uh, number of activities that we did before. So if you're feeling guilty about being done at three or something like that, like just don't feel guilty. If you need to take breaks during the day because of your kids, we're trying to just give flexibility to our people. Um, But I think that the idea that somebody needs to work 70 hours a week in the midst of this, especially at a church like ours where there's a staff to support you, I think something it's a, it's an indicator that something's uh, amiss that we need to we need to have a, a conversation about. I love that. Thank you, guys. That's a good word and a good reminder for anyone you know in church leadership about how to navigate this new reality in a healthy way. Um, so when it comes to the folks that you're connecting with in online ministry, because right now that's really our main option. What do you find they're most looking for? I know, you know, a lot of church planters have been debating, oh my gosh, I was going to launch in the fall. Like, what do I need? Do I need a really um, like legit professional pre-recorded stream Sunday service? Or do people just want authenticity? Do they just want to see Jason with his hat on his deck talking to them? You know, what is it that people are craving as they're drawn to the online ministry you're offering? Do you have a sense of that from the stories you've heard? Uh, I have two, two thoughts. Um, one is, no, I don't have a sense of that. I, I have absolutely no idea why people come and listen to us every week. And I really mean that. Like, I don't understand. People drive past some really good churches to come listen to us. So part of me says, I don't really know. The other part of me says, I'd be lying if I wasn't honest, uh, that we, we are courageous preacher types at Austin New Church. We say courageous things because they've never been said in the churches we grew up in. And I think that's a common denominator that has has... Um, helped post-evangelical people retune in this weird little thing that they weren't prepared uh, to to be to be surprised by. That's the that's the composite story I hear over and over and over again from our however many people we are. Um, it's courageous naming of of truth, and so actually uh, we started Facebook live streaming the beginning of this year as a result of something Matt told me last summer. Matt said, you know, instead of three services, you should consider 
maybe doing something through technology. And I looked at him, I thought that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Thank you, stlouis.com, not doing it. But we did it at the beginning of this year. No big investment, just basically stuff laying around. We did it because we needed, we were, we had outgrown two services and we needed more space. And he's like, well, conserve your energy, use the content in a virtual space. So we did that um, kind of as a result of that conversation. And I don't honestly feel like that has disadvantaged us from being courageous around naming what's going on and speaking truth. We, we were never the kind of polished people who attracted people to a building because of a slick program. In fact, our logo is a dusted off bumper sticker taken with a three megapixel flip phone about 10 years ago. That's what we project on our screens. We are, we are known for not being polished. And I don't mean high polished, non-polished. I just mean we're not polished. And so you're never going to see the slick production that comes out of the buildings run by the ministries that we've all worked for in the past. That's never going to be for us what I think makes the difference. I think it's naming things, being honest and drawing from from wells of personal experience and saying those things in a way that people can connect with. We moved from a half suburban, half rural church that Brandon Hatmaker planted 12 years ago up into a historic United Methodist property that had failed in the urban core of the culture district, cultural district of South Austin. And we watched our congregation go from white married people with three kids to urban millennial professionals who I've been told aren't interested in church. And there's something there. And they have not gone away. They are very much still in the virtual space with us. And they're being very patient as we figure out how to speak to them in the language they already speak. But I think it's courage. I think, it's, I think it has to do with courage. I literally think of things, what can I absolutely not say right now? And that list has nothing on it right now. I can't think of things that, might, that, that other than being downright ornery and nasty, which I'm not talking about, but I'm talking about truth as it comes to us through a gospel-centered embodiment of the work of Jesus in the world. There is no more sacred, untouchable thing on the table that I can find. People want courage. That's what I think. Hmm. What's your sense, Matt? Thanks, Matt. So I, I think that I would add to to this. Um, <laughs> you know, we live. We already know this. We live in a fragmented. I mean, if you want to talk in terms of you know market terminology, I mean, it's a fragmented market, right? I mean, there are so many things that work many of them being the exact opposite of one another because there's almost an audience for everything. So for me, what that means is I don't know that right now is the time to try to twist who you are to fit some preconceived notion of quote, what works. The the truth is a lot of different things work. Sometimes it's authenticity. Sometimes it's high polish. Sometimes it's, you know, being rough and tumble. Sometimes it's, you know, high entertainment value. I mean, all these things work with different audiences. So to me, that, that brings the question back to kind of who are you at your core? Who is your church? What ha- who have you always been? And how can you be a, a better version of that now? How do you begin to experiment with how to be that in an online environment? And it may be different things to different people. I, I do tend to think that uh, there is massive amounts of content online so if you're over-depending simply on your amazing content, this is a hard environment to carve out new, uh, new avenues because of your incredible content. So, I mean, no matter how good of a preacher you are, there's, you know, people just have content. There's, uh, I think, you know, we've had success with some really cool kind of musical things. We found that at home, 
and something that connects with where people are has been just as effective or more effective than trying to go for the, you know, the polish. So I think my, my biggest contribution here is there isn't one answer to this. We know this from TV, from radio. We've been learning this from online content. There are people who like things that are all over the spectrum. So don't twist who you are to try to fit what quote might work, but rather try to be who you are in new and creative ways online. I, I think that. that is so brilliant, Matt. That's why you're Matt. That's so brilliant because I think you're so right. We are all looking for the one shot to 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 be the answer. And boy, I don't know where we learned this in seminary, but there are as many models and they all mystify me and they are all legit. I remember years ago, y'all shouldn't confess this on a Zoom call to United Methodist Pastors, but for about four years, I worked for Joel Osteen. And I remember in Houston, Texas, that's the one. Some of y'all are shaking your head like, mm-hmm. but listen, it takes all types. And we were in a protracted and very heated conversation with some people in California who were trying to say, your model is illegitimate. And we just kept saying, it's different. It takes a lot of different kinds of things. And Matt is absolutely right. The, the quickest route from where we are to our more authentic courageous, non-fearful selves, I think is, the, is, is worth taking. It, there's just not going to be one thing. That's so wise. Write that book, Matt. Great. I think you guys should write it together. That, that's what I'm thinking. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it could be good stuff. Um, and I think it echoes what we saw even I, before the coronavirus hit. Maybe this is just revealing that more is there were churches in decline that were like, oh, well, if I just bring in a drum set or a guitar, everybody will come. That's not the answer. You've got to know who you are and figure out how to communicate that that core message, that DNA, so that those who are hungry for that will be drawn in. Now, if who you are is like a country club, maybe you will struggle, you know, to grow and to reach people. But um, but it's it, there's no quick fix here, and there's no one right way or approach moving forward. So that's Y'all, good. Hopefully, I'm, that let me, anxiety. Let me tell you a little story. The building that we moved into thrived in the '70s, and then they lost their way because the neighborhood changed, and they never figured out how to reconnect to the people around them. And one of the last big corporate, not corporate, but financial decisions they made uh, before they actually had to like shut it down was they thought, oh, we know why people aren't coming here. The sign is old. So they drained their evangelism fund to build a sharper sign. And to me, it just stands as a monument of you've missed it entirely. You've missed it. It's not about the sign. People don't come here because for many other reasons. And I I I think of churches as learning institutions. You know, we've got preschools and we've got postgraduate schools and we've got everything in between. And I think there are people to be served in all of those on that continuum. I think the the game really is figuring out where are you best? I have worked for churches that really were strong in the kindergarten and first grades of faith. They were really strong there. Like people understood that God was love and there was hope, period. I've also worked in churches for pastors who were much more grad school. Like people understood what Paul meant when he said this in Romans. It takes all those things. What aggravates me increasingly over time are those who say there can only be fifth grade institutions or there will only be schools of higher learning. No, it takes, you know, this is a journey from diapers to diapers. It's all discipleship, y'all. It's all discipleship. And so we can have our opinions and you probably had them coming out of seminary as did I. Uh, that that try to undermine the legitimacy legitimacy of other models. I don't think, from what I've read recently, there is no secret model, there is no secret sauce, 
It has something to do with, with, with being fully alive in what you're gifted to do in the space God has given you. And I think that's, that's more hopeful to me than, you know, shortcuts. Those never felt authentic to me. Yeah. Well, and maybe that's a blessing of online ministry, right? The sign outside of your church building no longer matters. It's irrelevant. Um, what have you guys found are the unexpected blessings or kind of burdens that have come from shifting to an online only format? I'll, so the blessings, and I'm sure many of you have noticed the same blessings. We we have a wider audience. More people are tuning in and watching. and uh, so, so that's nice. I find that our people are inviting more people than they used to because now geography doesn't matter. So suddenly, even though they could have done this pre-corona, it just didn't occur to them. And now they're inviting their friends and family that live in other places that are disconnected from church. Uh, so that's been a blessing. I think anytime we experience collective seasons of hardship, there are a segment of people that uh, sort of thought church should be in their life and we're maybe going to get around to it, but now they do it because they need it. And so we, we have certainly seen people returning to church that, uh, that don't during normal times. We've had more engagement in small groups. Uh, generosity has stayed really strong. So these are all blessings. I also think, you know, Jason said something that really I thought was beautifully put and I hadn't, I wouldn't have articulated this way because I'm not a poet, but he said, you know, this sort of hollows out, suffering hollows out a space inside of us where something new can take root or grow. I think that's true of our spirit. I think it's true of our churches as well. So one of the blessings of this is it's taught us, we over rely, all of us probably over rely on our buildings, on our programs, on our worship service. And, and we think uh, that those things are so important to the ministry that we do. And this is teaching us sort of how unimportant some of those programs that we spend so much time and energy on, those buildings, uh, and to some extent, even the Sunday gathering, uh, we are still finding incredible ways to be the church, even though we can't do those things. So I like the challenge of having to figure out ministry with two hands tied behind our back. It's causing us to be more creative and kind of get down to the essence of what ministry really is. So we get to ask some of those questions that during normal times, we're just so busy trying to pull off the next program that we don't have time to ask. So those are some of the, just the blessings that I can rattle off. And I'm sure many of you have noticed the same things in your church. I think, I mean, I could go on and on about some of the, hardships or what's hard about it. Uh, I, you know, Zoom's hard for me. At the end of a day, I'm Zoomed out. I don't, I don't love, I didn't get into ministry to stare at a black lens. You know, it feels like the black hole, the void. I'm always speaking into a void. Even now I can see your faces, but I don't have any energy for being in the room. And so I do a lot of this now. I sit in front of a camera of some sort and talk. And that's for my own spirit, there's a, there's a cost to that. It's a little bit exhausting, but, um, but I, I, I do try every day to, uh, just pay attention to what opportunities God is opening up to us. And I try not to get too far ahead of myself. I find that if I take this day by day, I'm in a much better space. If I try to think too far in advance, which we're all in part called to do, but we are just in a season where we don't know enough information now to know what it's going to be like in July, August, 
September beyond. And so where's the spirit opening up a possibility today? I love that. That's good. I think a lot of staffs are sitting around trying to come up with the best decisions uh, around things that these will be, this will be decided for us if you just wait a little bit. So I, I, I agree with, with Matt on that. I think some of the blessings to answer your question. Uh, so the blessings to me have been uh, accelerating the real conversations in marriage and parenting um, and seeing how those things flow into public leadership space. Um, the blessings have been, as Matt says, and I want to be sensitive here because some of you may be financially in a different situation than, than I am. We're in a building that's been paid for for 25 years. So I don't have a big mortgage that I'm concerned about. So when I say the blessing is, is we've stripped the building away from the gospel, uh, that's really a great feeling. That may not be a great feeling if you are trying to figure out how to make a 30-year mortgage on a $10 million building. I don't know if that's your case, but um, maybe, what if... <laughs> What if this was all we ever really had was good news? Maybe we housed it in different things that got our attention. And then the next thing you know, the main maintenance of the model became the mission of our organization. What if all we ever really had was these little carved out spaces where we speak love and hope to people who need to know that, that God will pursue them until he has them back? What if this is all we ever had? If that's the case, the blessing is letting go of all those other distracting things. Um, I don't see a downside to that right now. If I'm, if I'm honest, I think it's been a gift. Uh, the struggles, you know, technology, social media, don't have any interest in it. Um, having to learn I have, and Matt probably knows this because I've probably told him this when he says you should record your sermons and then you should send it out to your different campus people because this is how you, yeah. and I was like, ah, I can't talk to a camera. I have this weird red light fever. Seriously, guys, I work for Joe Osteen. You cannot video record me. I despise it. I freak out. I turn, freak out into hives. Guess who had to get over that fast? This guy right here. I mean, you don't have that option. If this is your only way to do it, you're over it effective immediately. And so one of the blessings has been, it is what it is. And in a weird way, speaking to a black lens, I'm still finding energy from, from knowing people are there in some sort of interesting and strange way. And maybe another blessing is that we do one service now instead of three. So that's, you know, home by brunch instead of early dinner. So I don't know. I'm super interested in what other specific questions. I'm looking at all of you thinking I'd love to zoom with all of you for an extra hour, but that wouldn't be very good self-care, would it? But I'm interested in your questions. I lead to Zoom fatigue a little bit. So, um, but that is a good segue. If anyone out there has a question for Jason or Matt and you want to unmute yourself and ask or type it in the chat, I know we got one good question already about um, how to launch, discuss your thoughts on different sermon series as you launch a church plant in, a, in an online context. And that's a great question. We're all, I mean, all of us have been at our plants for, you know, 10 plus years, but I guess I would say anything that speaks to the DNA of who you are or speaks to what people are feeling about connection or fatigue or hope. You touched on that. Any other suggestions for planters just beginning that journey who don't know where to start their sermon series? You know, I, I don't I don't have a magic answer to that, but I will say one thing that I would think about is presumably you've, you're starting or you want to start a church to address uh, some need that you see in your immediate community, whatever your community is like, whatever that context is. And right, right 
right now, I think what we have a lot of is this content that's very general in nature. So, I mean, people can log in and find a hundred messages on suffering or hardship or hope or something, but they can't log in and find something that speaks to the contours of your neighborhood or your particular, you know, locale. And so be as local, be as specific, speak directly to the people that you want to reach in ways that they can't easily find by just logging on and listening to any number of other preachers who might speak in generalities, but aren't going to speak to things that make sense in that specific context. It's a good word. What are your thoughts, Jason? Um, remind me the question. I got lost in what Matt was saying. That was so good. It, it's, I think context is everything. Yeah. Yeah. So if, if a church planter was getting ready to launch an oh, online yeah. faith community, what kind of sermon series should they turn to or consider? Well, actually, we are launching an online faith community right now. We're launching our very first work in Spanish here in Central Texas, uh, and we were going to launch that before COVID. Um, so it's gone. I mean, it's totally virtual. And the way we've done that, and, and I'm not steering that, my, the guy we found to do that is, but he's uh, launching that sort of who we are and why we're here conversation. He launched it around the seven tables of Jesus, and he goes into a long sort of expose as to who's in and who's out. And basically the tweeted version is everyone's in. So courage around the gospel. If I were launching a church and I'm not a planter, my first response to Rachel was I'm not a church planter. Uh, I'm a a church revitalizer. That's what I think of as myself as. But if I were launching a church, I would say, preach the gospel, not the Bible, find the gospel in the Bible and preach that word of hope to people. Don't get distracted with uh, the things uh, that are non-essential. I learned some of this uh, from mentors. I learned some of this from people I've worked for, but I think it's, I think it's what I would do. I would go as straight to the gospel as I could. And I think we all know it. And th- the interesting thing is there's already some code written in the hearts of everyone around you that's waiting to hear those words anyhow. So I think that's, that's the route. Right? And I would say, Rachel, I say this even without, you know, COVID, but I, I just think, you know, I don't know how many of you read Patch News, but, you know, Patch, the whole idea of that news organization is it started because no one was talking about local things anymore. Everything became a conglomerate, CNN or MSNBC. So I think about church plants. This should be the patch of the spiritual world where they can get, I mean, you don't need to look at what huge churches are doing to figure out the best way to launch in your context. You need to be, uh, the church for your neighborhood. And the truth is Jason and I don't know how to do that. That's why you are where you are. Yeah. That's very, very true. And and just as an example, when we moved into our little place, it sits on South Lamar. If you know anything about Austin, it sits in the cultural hub of about 300 music venues within 10 miles in either direction. So what did we do? We figured out, well, what, what is this neighborhood uniquely known as? And so we wrote a very, very ambitious grant to retrofit our little building with sound and light equal to anywhere else playable in town. And so we put about $250,000 worth of sound and lights into a tiny little room that sits 375 people. We redesigned it, got all the pews and the green and the red and all the multicolored wood out. It's white, it's gray, and it's wood. And it's 
ready to play and we're a nonprofit on the other side of our org uh, that doesn't have to turn a bunch of money to keep local art going. Now, what's the mission there? It's Austin. That's not going to work in St. Louis. That won't work in, that might work in Nashville where you are, Nate, Rachel, but it would be a different embodiment. But that was the question that we asked, what does this neighborhood need? And I think that's, I think that's the, that's the key. That's a big part of it. We could go for hours on this. Couldn't we, Matt? yeah, I saw. Yeah, and I saw a chat from Christina and Ryan. And I just add really quickly. Every conference is different about how they fund new churches and stuff. But what I've been trying to tell judicatory people is, don't be in a rush right now, dude. I would not try to rush into like we have got to start worshiping live in some space. They told us we had to launch by August. Or we have to launch by January. I mean, I would take this as a in some ways a gift that you might not launch in-person worship for two years. So what, what can you do to get to know your community, make connections with people, begin to create uh, maybe small groups where uh, there's a creative ways, but I think it can actually save new churches from a whole host of bad decisions that I see them make in the first six months where they rush to do things that they either don't need to do or they're not ready to do. So just don't be in a rush to, to start a worship service live. Totally agree. Um, and for those church planters just starting out who are like, oh my gosh, how am I going to fund things? You know, because all of that is harder. Uh, our next Zoom webinar like this will be in 10 days with a professor of church planting and social entrepreneurship talking about how to fund church plants through entrepreneurship during COVID and beyond when you can't necessarily open a coffee shop if you can't have it open or have it open throughout the fall if another wave comes through or whatever. So these are trying times, but this is where I'm excited. I feel like church planters are so adaptive and they're going to be a gift to the pastoral community during a season like this because you guys are able to see what matters and communicate it in ways that bring hope and inspiration to people and and really mobilize the church to be the church outside of the building, but as the body of Christ. So uh, I'll, I'll say this advice I give all the time, not just during COVID to planters. I think there's a tension in the planting world. Um, you, you have a vision and presumably a call from God to do something that's unique. That's why you felt this call to plant. I mean, normal people don't want to plant a church. You have to be a little bit sociopathic. You think you can you know, do this better than everyone else. And you have some idea that other people haven't thought of yet. And you're the one to, to execute it. I love that about planters. Um, you know, so, so I would say, hold on to that because there's something about that instinct that I think the Holy Spirit is inspiring in you and it's worth paying attention to. So, so what I want to say is be humble enough to learn all you can. So hop on webinars like this, read books, look around at what other people are doing. But even as you're doing that, don't, I've seen so many planters, they, they love every idea they hear, every workshop they go to. And pretty soon after two, three, four months, they don't remember what they set out to do in the first place. Their vision has become this amalgam of everything they've ever heard at Exponential or Leadership Summit or Matt and Jason talking on Zoom, that, that their original vision, they sort of lose touch with it. So don't lose touch with that. And I think something similar is true during COVID. I mean, we could spend so much time, you know, what's working? What should I be doing? What technology do I need to use? 
that we can sort of lose touch with like, why did I think God was raising me up to do something specific in this place? And I'm just a really big believer that innovation, creativity, the most compelling church planters I know kind of offer something that the spirit really was, uh, was, was moving them to, to offer. They, they're not just a, a replicator of every other big ministry they've ever seen or watched. So you're in this because the spirit is doing a work in you and through you for your particular community. Trust that instinct, learn from people like me or Jason or whoever else, Uh, let it inform, but don't lose sight uh, or or grow disconnected from that vision. Cause that's really what I'm excited about. That's what I want to see if we talked one-on-one, that's what I would want to hear about um, in you. Yeah, that's so good. Uh, I would say, I don't know that I have specific advice to planters, uh, but I just have some advice to humans of which I think we all uh, number ourselves. And that is don't waste this global pandemic and not learn what it might teach us. And I think what it's teaching us is uh, the essentials, the stripped down, the few things, uh, and to me specifically, the flow from who we are and who we're becoming and what that looks like for public leadership. I don't think we need another church plant in a city that snuffs out under the weight of pressure in its own growth because the the legs of the table couldn't hold the load of leadership up. We all know we could, we could, we could between us, we could come up with a hundred stories of 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 people that that has happened to, and so. I don't waste this global pandemic now. You know, Chris Tippett calls it the great pause. And I think that's a good way to think of it. Don't waste the great pause and not learn what it might teach us, which is that we can only build things from who we are. Uh, and it can only flow from those, those places um, that we've hollowed out inside. And so I would say, let that lead you. And maybe the tweet of a, of a technical call like this around, maybe your desire to actually get answers to your problems. Maybe the tweet is, don't chase models. Go inside. What can you do with authenticity? What can you do deeply inspired? What can you do that's so compelling that no one around you cannot listen? Do that. Do that. I went to the gathering with my associate and we dug deep into all the campuses and all the fun. And you know what we came back with? I'm not building a gathering in Austin. I was inspired by Matt saying, don't be afraid of doing this. Don't be afraid of saying the word generosity. Don't be afraid of that. Those are a few things that I, I we're not building a gathering in Austin, Texas. We're building Austin New Church in Austin, Texas. And I think you have to run some, you have to have some miles on the tires to realize, oh, this isn't about greater innovation. This is about a deeper sense of authenticity to the calling God has put on me for this place at this time. And I think maybe that applies to planters. So stay hungry, y'all. Stay thirsty. Contact me anytime. I'm not as busy as Matt thinks I am. Uh, I'm not as busy as anybody thinks I am. I put my email in the thread there. Y'all reach out. My heart is absolutely for leaders. And and I want you to do this from wellness and health. And I want you to take on the new challenges and be amazing at it. I love that. I'm grateful that, um, that Jason and Matt are a part of this community and that you are too. You matter. So I appreciate you. Blessings all. Field Preachers Podcast has been a production of Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church. Visit all our podcasts at podcasts.umcdiscipleship.org.